This is EntreEd Talk, the podcast for entrepreneurial educators by entrepreneurial educators. We are your hosts, Toy Hirschman and Amber Ravenscroft. This podcast is created by the National Consortium for Entrepreneurship Education, or EntreEd for short. Welcome everyone to another episode of EntreEd Talk. We are here today with our lovely friend, Sam Steidel. She's an independent researcher, educator, and advocate for entrepreneurial leadership in higher ed. So Sam, you are our first higher ed uh, voice on the podcast, and we're really excited about that. Firm Innovation Agency focuses on partnering for entrepreneurial impact in education, and she's working toward a PhD in community college leadership from Old Dominion University with a research emphasis on how entrepreneurial leadership can drive improved outcomes for the colleges. So we're excited to hear about all of that, but if you want to just say a quick hello and then we'll dive in. Hi, it's so great to be here. I'm a big fan of EntreEd and I love what you all do for both K through 12 and higher education. And um, you know that. And so I'm just really looking forward to this conversation. Well, we're so happy to have you, Sam, and we'll just get, get started with this question. Um, what initially sparked your interest in the field of entrepreneurship education? So I think it was just a culmination of a lot of different things. Like most of us, we have childhood experiences that build us into who we end up becoming. And um, I remember when I was a child, I, I had this unique instinct for curiosity. And so I always wondered about these random things. And at the time, it didn't make sense. You know, I, I, I wondered, my parents, you know, we didn't have all the money in the world. A lot of us have that situation, but there was a lot of financial insecurity. So I wondered, well, there are all these problems out there. Can't we fill those needs? and then in turn make extra money for our family? Can I step up and make money in these different ways? And, and why can't my parents? And now I understand that what I was wondering about was the gig economy. And uh, so that was just one example. Another example is that I would pick up the yellow pages and I would look through them at the different ads. How weird is that? You know, I <laughs> Seven, looking at the ads, just wanting to learn more about business and not caring about the traditional topics in school, like English and math. I remember thinking, I just really want to learn how to make money. Can you tell me how to, how to make money with the problems that I see? I kind of like that was an ongoing thread throughout my childhood. And um, so when I got to college, I ended up majoring in an accounting because it was the closest to what I was looking for. Um, and then later on, I ended up teaching college. And by that time, there was entrepreneurship. And it was like the clouds parted and it all made sense. And I was like, well, I really wish someone would have told me about this thing called entrepreneurship. And I wouldn't have felt like such a black sheep in school. And so, um, you know, I think I related to my students really well because I noticed they, they usually felt similar. The best students, they felt lost too. And I loved when I was teaching going, come with me, you're going to be fine. I'll show you the way. It's over this way. <laughs> that was really fun. So from a deep, from a deep place, this is just who I was growing up. And, and influences, people that I've known throughout time have influenced how I've thought about it. But this is genuinely who I was when I was born. Oh, that's amazing. It's so, so funny to, to hear you say that because 
like you, I had this a very similar story. You know, I kind of got pushed into that traditional role and um, I saw your email, the excellent sheep. I downloaded it from Audible yesterday, <laughs> but, but it's, it's funny because I got, you know, pushed in there and I'm, and I kept changing jobs and jumping into all these new things. And then like you, I had that moment where like, ah, I'm not crazy. I'm entrepreneurial. <laughs> right. I mean, isn't it wonderful? One of my friends, Gary Schoniger, I think, you know, Gary, yeah. um, he's the founder of the entrepreneurial learning initiative. He was the one that initially introduced me to that book. And the interesting thing, this might happen to you too. The interesting thing is when I'm introduced to something, then I have a heightened sense of awareness about how that fits in with the broader scope of the world. And then you, you see all these scandals, you know, and it, yes, it does tie to entrepreneurship and innovation, but it ties to the world that we're living in right now in a deep and profound way. All these things that we're curious about, you know? And so I remember also thinking when I was a kid, there's got to be a place for curiosity, deep curiosity, and not just curiosity and wondering, but seeing um, almost constellations of dots connecting and feeling so sure that you're not crazy, that these things do lead to value. And that is something. But the problem is, for a lot of us, there's not a title that that's called. What is that called? So then you just kind of get lumped into the troublemaker, especially in government. Don't, <laughs> don't overthink, you know? <laughs> so there's this deep need to make sense of it all. And I think based on my research, it's starting to make sense. And it, it does lead to a lot of different paths in life. But you have to take the time to dig. The path isn't paved for you like it is in accounting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I want to touch a little bit on this idea of, you know, entrepreneurship education, K-12 and higher ed is tailored towards those as troublemakers, right? It's it's for the, the students that don't feel like they fit in. And I want you to talk a little bit about why that's so important that we work and actively advocate for schools to integrate this into their classroom. One of the things that I came across was a bunch of research to tie ADHD and learning disabilities to entrepreneurship and successful entrepreneurs. If there's proven research that entrepreneurship education can help with those students with those type of learning disabilities, that's huge. We'd love to, I would love to be informed on that kind of research. One of my neighbors and who's got, I've gotten to be a good friend with, she specializes in families that are wired differently. That's what she calls them. So they're either on the um, autism spectrum or ADHD. I have ADHD. Okay. I call it a competitive advantage. So when, <laughs> I mean, like it can be that it could be very bad if you're not organized. That's why I'm like overly organized. Cause if not, it's just this big systemic mess. My best friend called me and said, my son is is ADHD and the teachers are making him feel crazy. And I said, you make sure you tell him he is not crazy and he's brilliant. And I will find research to show that. And so I dug up like all this research for her and sent it to her. I was like, see, your kid's fine. Just like I'm fine. And I feel like these kids are stigmatized. And I get like, if you can't tell, I get a little personally insulted by it. All of my research, everything that I have taken time to learn all leads back to advocacy for entrepreneurship. And so 
the part of the challenge that I have is that I see so much opportunity for advocacy and so many different outcomes from entrepreneurial research and activity that to condense it is the biggest challenge at this point. So that's why a bulk of my research is under the umbrella of entrepreneurial leadership for higher education outcomes. It might be helpful if I gave you some examples of some outcomes. Essentially, they are labeled under the umbrella of three things, economic development, financial sustainability for institutions, and student success outcomes. Now, if you let's just take economic development. I brought some statistics for you. Um, <laughs> I, I dug these all up because I got scared. <laughs> um, so let's just look at different segments of the population. For example, Latinos. Latinos are creating new businesses faster than any other population, uh, with 46% growth between 2007 and 2012. And that's according to the National Economic Research Association's report um, in 2016. So it's relatively new. It's a relatively new study. Um, All the research that I look at is new. So I didn't want to look at research from 1980. I want to look at relevant outcomes and specific examples of tangible tangible proof. Um, And because I feel like in order to get attention and to not get shoved to the side, we need tangible outcomes. And so another example is just right here in the city that I live in, which is Roanoke, Virginia, um, research commercialization and scientific discovery. That's essentially that's um, where entrepreneurship intersects with STEM. There's a big push for research commercialization in this region. And UVA, their Weldon Cooper Center, just released a new report that predicted that this research commercialization industry and cluster would create 828 jobs in our region and generate over $150 million in annual spending by 2026. So tangible proof, tangible proof. Um, the gig economy is another example. It's predicted, and this is very common, a common statistic to a lot of people, um, that by 2020, which is right around the corner, 40% of American workers will uh, be contractors. And it might sound like a large number, but if you think about it, it correlates directly to the retirement of the baby boomers and that older generation that is essentially for in some ways getting pushed out of the workforce, I think prematurely even, because if you think about succession of corporations are of our entire society, we have so much intellectual capital tied up in this generation. Mm -hmm. And so this is the in-between space between when they are employees, which they were very loyal to corporate America, and just being retired, like they're busybodies. They don't want to retire. Right. They don't want to waste all this intellectual capital. So I see the gig economy, entrepreneurship, and entrepreneurs within uh, corporate America innovating. There are statistics behind that, behind rural entrepreneurship, vet vet, uh, veteran entrepreneurship, minorities, uh, women. So that's just segments. So that's just economic development. So if you look at financial sustainability of higher education institutions, this is where my research 
started. As you know, I was really interested in um, seeking alternative revenue streams for higher education because government funding was going away. Mm -hmm. Now, you can look at um, state funding in Arizona, for example. It's dropped by 53% between 2008 and 2017. And we see, we work with a lot of colleges and we see them struggle. And then we see, we have like this contrast. We've got Hawking on one end and then we have other colleges that are just are just floundering and they're they're and they're generally mired in a lot of that traditional thinking and so I wondered if you had any advice for a college that might want to to oh, shift she probably has a whole pathway for that. <laughs> well, and I have gotten I've given this a lot of thought and I actually love this question because there is an answer. And I think that a lot of people don't think that um, it's sort of the blind leading the blind, but there's a very clear path and framework that's laid out. It's just in pieces. And what we need to do is pull it together collectively so that we have a more clear pathway for creating um, outcomes and and tangible outcomes so that there's more buy-in and consensus from both the community and the faculty. And so um, to answer your question, I think that in any college, what the research tells us is that it takes both a top-down traditional hierarchical approach, um, but then also a grassroots bottom-up approach. And to ignore either is at the peril of your efforts because without institutional leadership buy-in, which a lot of entrepreneurs just try to run under the radar and go and do before anyone notices, it's actually at some point going to inhibit your um, ability to move these initiatives forward as much as you don't want to acknowledge that. And by the way, I was there. My title was innovation officer at a community college. I empathize and understand how faculty want to get things done. And and deans, and deans are wonderful. And sometimes they're your best navigators. There's actually a um, research study called uh, Deans as Entrepreneurial Catalysts or something like that. It was fascinating. Um, And it shows how much power they can have because they're in between the presidents, the vice presidents, and the faculty. And so they're at this unique position of being able to get stuff done. Now, if you're looking at it from a grassroots perspective, we talked about top down. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for a bottom up perspective, there's actually a new book right now out, which I'm really excited about called Community Colleges as Incubators yeah. of Innovation. <laughs> Essentially what it is, it, it is a roadmap of exactly what you're talking about. It was written by, it was crowdsourced by some of the smartest members of NACI, um, which is if you're not familiar, National Association of Community College Entrepreneurship. It was edited by Becky Corbin, who's the executive director. But what's so cool about this book is that it was, like I said, crowdsourced by some of the brightest minds in that association. Um, For example, Andy Gold and Beth Curley at Hillsborough Community College are on the cutting edge of human-centered design and design thinking in terms of impacting community college and 
the community as a whole Mm -hmm. and they have a new course that I just noticed online, which I'm kind of smitten about. He will not be surprised to hear me say that because (laughs) I follow Tampa, um, the entrepreneurial ecosystem in Tampa because my whole family lives there. But really what Andy and Beth are doing stands out and I think they're trailblazers. So they are the authors in just chapter two. And the whole book, the premise of the book is bringing an entrepreneurial mindset to the community in a more systemic way. Mm-hmm. Instead of just being a faculty member, maybe we engage the community and key partners and government and leadership and getting everybody on board to build this more consensus-oriented change and impact. So, I mean, I cannot tell you, you know, I'm the most excited about this book. I have to tell you because I'm building the online course, which accompanies the textbook. And, um, that is my number one project right now that I'm the most, um, excited about because what we're doing is converting a textbook into an action oriented pathway. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm Twitter obsessed with Andy and Beth. Like, so, I mean, social media obsessed because they're always posting the cool things that they're doing and they're doing amazing work even in the K-12 realm. And you talk about that community engagement of entrepreneurship. They're doing a lot of very cool stuff. So I encourage everyone to check them out, check this book out. But I want to go back really quickly because we talk a lot about faculty buy-in and like a bottom-up approach. And some of the most tangible ways to get faculty to buy-in are the student success outcomes that you were going to reference earlier. And so, I mean, can you talk a little bit about why entrepreneurship affects student success and what kind of outcomes you saw from that side? Sure. And I'm so glad you asked because you know, that's it. That is, I think the cornerstone of the impact that's the most important because student success is at the heart of the mission of community college. And so if we forget that, then you're just going to have less, like I said, buy-in. I mean, it should all roads lead back to student success. So the World Economic Forum, (laughs) I'm like, here we go. The World (laughs) Economic Forum published the Future of Jobs report. And through that report, this is 2018, in that report, um, the researchers interviewed 371 top global employers, and that represented 13 million employees in 15 emerging economies. And here's what they found out. One of my favorite findings is that they listed what these employers want and need in the future of work. And what they outlined that some of the top skills were analytical thinking innovation, creativity, active learning strategies, right? Mm -hmm. So all these things, interestingly, I can tell you in the research, are directly related to entrepreneurial competencies. They are directly cited as entrepreneurial competencies. In other words, what they're saying is that they want these students to have an entrepreneurial mindset before they hit the workforce. And so what that means is that it's our responsibility as higher education institutions and educators as a whole to acknowledge that, Mm -hmm. you know, and acknowledge the, the fact that our world is changing and due to robotics and automation and until education, you know, catches up with the fact that, I mean, essentially we are government. 
So we move slow, but we're going to be run over by these other countries if we don't get our act together. Now, I have to acknowledge that um, in the K through 12 realm, rules and regulations are so different than higher education. And so there is an uphill battle there that feels almost limitless to me. But I, I know there's a researcher out there like me that will be able to navigate K through 12 mm-hmm. in terms of entrepreneurial outcomes and looking at all this. So while that falls outside of the scope of my research, I, I really think that that is prime ground to make a case for um, in K through 12. Absolutely. Yeah. And we, I mean, we talk about this all the time and Sam and I have had many conversations about there's a little bit more lean, not leniency, but there's a little bit more wiggle room and higher ed in terms of policy perspectives on how to create entrepreneurial cultures. Right. And that K-12, at least in the United States, deals with a little bit too much structure and standards in terms of allowing teachers to be innovative and creative in their classrooms because they're so stuck to standardized testing. And so that's, we talk about that a lot, but many of the pieces of this podcast and the speakers that we have are are these individuals who are finding ways to integrate them with the existing standards. It's like trickling water, right? It turns into a river and then it turns into this entire process where, you know, it takes small steps towards major goals. And I think that K-12 is just a little bit behind higher ed, but they are so related that higher ed's going to start expecting these skill sets from students Mm-hmm. And unless K-12 can provide the higher ed students, those students that have entrepreneurial mindsets, that's when it's going to have to come down. So it's very interesting to think about from a research perspective, what you found on the higher ed level and how applicable it is to K-12. And I will also note that uh, it's a, it's an issue of accreditation. So it's not just the schools, but who are the guardians of you know keeping these schools accredited. There was a a study that I read yesterday called Who Guards the Guardians? And it's all about uh, the accreditors of higher education, at least. And I know there are, it is a similar issue, but that's where you get those outcomes, you know, from um, Department of of Education and it trickles down to the accreditors and the states. And so I think it's a, it's a larger conversation that we need to have with policymakers. This is a policy conversation also. So I was fascinated by this article, Who Guards the Guardians. I would really recommend that you um, take a look at that. It's definitely worth your time. I sent it to five people yesterday. (laughs) My favorite thing is whenever, because for everyone who's listening to the podcast, we do this on Zoom so I can see everyone when we're talking. My favorite thing is when you're talking, Toy is like taking mass. I can watch her write down everything that you're saying. And I think that's, I mean, we're going to also, and I, Sam and I had talked a little bit about this before the podcast. When we launch this episode, we will send resources to what Sam is referencing because this is key for the policy is having these outcomes. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I mean, I can't say enough about it's so important. We say it from a, you know, a theoretical perspective, but having like proven outcomes that you're, you're providing for us is huge. Yeah. And, and just, I, I have to give credit to the Kauffman Foundation and the efforts that they're making toward identifying measurable outcomes, because none of us are going to accomplish this on our own. And the amount of effort and volunteers and workers that are working toward accomplishing this 
this exact goal is, um, is notable, but from my perspective, I'm looking at it strictly from the perspective of how it impacts higher education. And they're looking at it from an entire perspective. Mm -hmm. So anybody else interested in outcomes, I would recommend and suggest you pay attention to what Kaufman's doing and also get involved in the associations like National Association of Community College Entrepreneurship and um, EntreEd and all of these different organizations. Of course, you know all about that, but for your listeners. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is this has been wonderful, Sam. Um, and thank you, Amber, for calling me out. <laughs> I'm just but, making yeah. a point. <laughs> I might, Amber and I, maybe both are in a way might be filling that role in K through 12. He said, some a researcher like you. So I'm getting my doctorate also, and that's exactly what I'm looking at is trying to find these outcomes, and then how do I, you know, design an intervention that will show me, you know, what the, you know, what these outcomes are. And so I was writing down all of, all of the awesome things that you were saying, because it it totally applies to K through 12. We don't have as much wiggle room, but when we're in that setting, it's, it's difficult because what K through 12 teachers and and, in college too, in a way, traditionally, you know, you go to science class and then you're done with that. And then you go to math class and then you're done with math. And then, so it's all very compartmentalized. And even when you have an entrepreneurship course, it's just, we're going to go do entrepreneurship for an hour and then we're going to go to math class. I was going to build a business plan. And, and right. honestly, the truth is it's much more than that. And it spans that what it's capable of is so much more than that. So I get a bit struck when I see this topic so piecemealed because mm-hmm. I just wonder what the collective power of entrepreneurship is if we could if we could um, just grasp it and organize it and you know perhaps toy you and I should um, revisit this um, and cross referencing our research so we can get a more comprehensive perspective on this I just got goosebumps it's on like American Idol when there's a really good singer I just got one because you said something really powerful to me. Jean, Jean laughs at me because I read the um, Ted Dentersmith's book, What Schools Could Be. Mm-hmm. And I get so fired up by this idea that I don't think our schools are doing a disservice. I think that they're taking a long time to get students to where they could already be immediately right. um, because they put so much structure around it and they could allow students so much more freedom to. Entrepreneurship is applicable to every single subject area and somebody can debate me on this and I'll go toe to toe with you. So, come on, <laughs> come on, let's go. But I just, I think it's so interesting to, and in the entre-ed community and the NACI network, we're surrounded by those like-minded people, but we're also a minority in terms of that mindset right now. And so I think the more advocacy and the more policy work we can do, we are making small strides. Like we just interviewed Kristen Dunn and PA is integrating entrepreneurship standards into their standards. So it's like, there's small steps taking place, but I'm so appreciative of being on a conversation with two like-minded people who are like, yep, a hundred percent. This is it. Like, this is where we need to go because it's powerful. Yeah. Watch out world. We're coming for you. (laughs) And by the way, if I can just say that 
in addition to what you just said, it seems like our students, so many of them are just getting labeled as troublemakers when they're not troublemakers. And often these are the same students that are the most brilliant. And if they have a past, maybe it's because they were, you know, hard workers and hustlers and they saw a big world out there and they just, they didn't have anyone to guide them Mm -hmm. on their path and show them the path of either capitalist entrepreneurship or social entrepreneurship. You know, it doesn't, it's not a capitalist conversation always. And I think in education, it gets pigeonholed as if this is all about money. And the truth is, it's so far from it that we, it's our responsibility as advocates to make a case for that. So the broader industry of education understands. Yeah, there's a, there's a definitely a lack of fundamental understanding because the first time you say that the word entrepreneurship, most people's brains go to make money business. And most of our teachers, the first thing they're doing, like, okay, well, we'll make a product to sell. Like that's what they understand right. as entrepreneurship. And it's so, 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 so much more than that. Right. You're so absolutely right. Mary Shoniger always says we need to redefine entrepreneurship. Yep. A hundred percent. Well, I think, I mean, we could probably talk about this all day and (laughs) I want to be really cognizant of our listeners. We're trying to get those 30 minute commuters. Um, So maybe our last question is, is there any like final parting advice you would have to anybody that's interested on integrating an entrepreneurial culture? Like what tangible advice would you give them to start now? Like what would be one thing that they could do? Yeah, I get that question a lot. Here's how I answer that. Plug into NACI. National Association of Community College Entrepreneurship. Follow them on their Facebook page. Join the group. Go to the conferences. Quite honestly, as an innately curious person, I've been to so many different conferences and NACI is by far the best um, investment of both time and money. Um, Plug into EntreEd, your organization, and follow what you're doing. I'm so glad that I found it. Pay attention to what the California Community College System is doing in their new World of Work initiative and badging, um, and that's tied to the Fourth Industrial Revolution. I would recommend get the book, (laughs) Colleges, It's Incubators of Innovation. Um, I cannot help but plug that. Also, follow the Entrepreneurial Learning Initiative and what um, everything that they're doing is that was the catalyst of so much of how I think today in terms of education started with Gary Shoniger's work. So shout out to Gary. Thank you for everything you do for globally for entrepreneurship education. And thank you both for everything that you do. Yeah, we are hoping to get Gary on soon. I'm a big fan also. <laughs> I have a big foam finger with Gary on. <laughs> yeah, he's wonderful. I mean, couldn't you just, I mean, especially when he goes into theoretical concepts, which I'm not usually a fan of. When he does it, I want to hear it because it's always something I hadn't heard of and hadn't thought about. So I hope that if any of your listeners are interested in connecting with me, please connect on LinkedIn, Facebook. We'll provide you with links. Uh, Reach out to me if you want to talk more about advocacy or you have tangible proof that maybe uh, Toy and I can incorporate into our research. We want to hear those stories. We want to know. Help us create that case for advocacy. Hey, do you want to host our podcast? <laughs> no, but I love it. This is wonderful. 
I'm so happy, happy to be a part of this. And I'm so happy to have you guys just leading the way. This is awesome. Thank no, you. We're, we're so appreciative of your time. And I mean, the resources that you brought to the table just in this short podcast are tremendous. And so we're really excited to link those when we send this out. Um, I think it'll be huge from not just <laughs> choice showing her a list of notes. Um, so we're really, really excited about this. And we're so appreciative. And we will make sure that people can connect with you when it is sent out to our network and make sure that we continue those conversations because really this is an ecosystem and it is a systematic approach to changing entrepreneurship across the country. So we're very appreciative and thank you so much for your time. Awesome. Thanks, ladies. Thanks, Sam.